When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. The Telegraph, the Telegraph. podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Well, we have a repeat of last year's Premiership final, both Saracens and Exeter destroyed their semi-final opposition to book a return to Twickenham. It'll be fourth final in a row for the Chiefs and we'll be speaking to their Chief Executive, Tony Rowe, about how his club planned to beat Saracens next weekend. Uh, in the Pro 14, Leinster bounced back from their Champions Cup final defeat to narrowly beat Glasgow 18-15 in front of a record final crowd at Celtic Park. And the former Leinster hooker Shane Byrne will join us to reflect on another Pro 14 title for his former side. Ahead of England's game with the Barbarians this weekend, we'll speak to the Barbarians and Bristol coach Pat Lamb about his plans to try and make it two wins from two with the Barbar's side at Twickenham. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined in the studio today by Harlequin's second row and former Australian captain James Horwell. Hello, James. How are you, Brian? All right. Look, the semi-finals went pretty much to rote. Uh, I wrote an article saying, basically, you've got a split in the Premiership, a bit like the Premier League at the moment, where you've got Manchester City and Liverpool are just that bit better. And there you go, rafter teams who are trying, they have inconsistencies, Gloucester, Quinns as well, um, Wasps. A bit like uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United and so on. Um do you think Saris are heavy favourites for the final? How would you assess this? I think you'd have to say Saracens would be favourites just based on the form that they took in, particularly the European Cup final, um, their ability to play in big games and step up. I think that's where they've they've probably outshone Exeter recently. I mean, obviously Exeter beat them a couple of years ago in the semi-final down at Sandy Park. but Saracens, That's a Sunday park. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, Saracens have this ability to step up in the big games. So they've got a lot of big game players. Um, well, look, I mean, you've played against them a lot. Mm. What is it in particular that's difficult about, about them, you know, to play them? I think, look, they're just a big, big side and they're just unrelenting. So when they, they just never give up on that sort of, you're just dealing with big bodies all the time and they just batter and batter and batter away until you sort of succeed. Because the times that Quinns have been them, and they've been yeah. them occasionally, uh, are, there, are there times when Quinns have been absolutely, and he doesn't have more often, on the metal? Um, defensive wise, you tackled and tackled and tackled. To yeah, I think so. And you've got to make sure you're tactically good. I think there's a, we, you know, we looked at to doing a couple of things about obviously, um, you know, picking on players in the backfield, kicking probably a little bit more. Um, you know, Saracens pride themselves on their defense. They obviously like squeezing player, squeezing teams. 
Uh, they, you know, they're very good from in front. Once they get a lead, they're very hard to run down because that's what they're good at. They can squeeze. They've got Farrell who controls the game as good as anyone in, in Europe or even in the world. So that's where I think it is. And, you, you know, there's no reason Exit can't do it. But if you're going on for, for from odds sake, I'd imagine Saris would be quite heavy favourites. And then I always look at what they bring off the bench yeah. usually. I mean, that also you helps. get Brad Barrett goes down. You think, oh, you know, big figure, captain, mm. central to their defensive and other things, Tompkins comes on three yeah. tries. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not, it's pretty handy bringing, what, six or seven internationals off yeah. the bench. Uh, that doesn't, that certainly doesn't hurt as well. Their depth in their squad is is quite phenomenal. Well, Johan Ackerman, who is uh, in charge of Gloucester, he praised Saracens, but he pointed out it took him years to get to that level. What do you think he's done at Gloucester? How, how much of an improvement have you seen at Gloucester? It's definitely brought a, a confidence back to them. I think when I first came over to the UK, Gloucester were sort of known as these perennial underachievers. They were this powerhouse, from what I was told, that this big club and big mm. supporter base, you know, got a great fan base down at King's Home, but would always just always almost choke at the last bit. They'd never Oh, they were the famous for that. I, yeah. I wrote once, I think, I swear they practised choking. But yeah. Anyway. So they could never get there, you know, they'd be there in games and then all, all of a sudden just have these big implosions. And I think, Johan's been able to give them the confidence and belief in their own ability. And I think you can see that with the way they play. Uh, and even I've got a couple of mates that play down there, some ex-Aussies, and they just think that they, they really love playing for him. Mm. And I think that, that that's shown. Um, and look, they've got a great squad. They've got a way that they want to play. They've got some big, strong, carrying back rowers. Um, you know, and when you've got Sips pulling the strings like he is and some, some finishes out wide, they're... They've they've been excellent this year, and not, but they were just sort of out muscled on the weekend by a bigger Saracen side. Well, we'll talk about uh, Cipriani later, probably in the England and Barbarians context. But let's go on to the the Chiefs who dispatched the Saints fairly easily. I mean, the the writing was on the wall, wasn't it? The game before, yeah. because I mean, they didn't know that you hadn't beaten Was, so they had yeah. to go there and give it the best shot, yeah. and they got fairly gubbed. And and yeah. again, it, it happened like this. I mean, once. Um, uh, Reinhardt dropped that the ball mm. that would have put him, you know, well, they would have kept him in touch. It was it was all one way. I mean, look, if we were mentioned about Sandy Park, I mean, away grounds are away grounds. Yeah. You don't like playing away yeah. grounds. You prefer to be at home. But it seems Exeter and Sandy Park is a little bit towards the extreme end. You know, people yeah. find it much more difficult to play there than, say, at Queens or yeah. the Rico or whatever. Well, why do you think that is? Because you've been down there. Well, look, I think it's... The travel is probably a bit further than most most teams would go usually. Um, I think they they've done very well. The you know the the Chiefs fans and the Chiefs organisation to make it this sort of fortress. Mm -hmm. You know, it's their home, and and you know they've got the chance, the tomahawk chop, and all these sort of things. And I think that and it does get windy down yeah, there. Yeah, it does, and 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 the unique, yeah, the unique uh, climate control microclimate you've got, yeah, <laughs> you got to deal with that they've put decided to put a stadium next to a motorway on top of a hill. <laughs> um, <laughs> so look, I, I think they, you know, they, the the locals are very proud of Sandy Park. They're proud of the club, and I think they've been able to build this, you know, emotional attachment to to the place. Not only for the players, but for the fans, and mm -hmm. they show that when they support. And probably not all places are like that. Yeah. Um, well, we'll they, speak to Tony yeah. Rowe about that. I mean, we get first first hand look. You can't on a like for like basis see. Further than Saracens, I don't think that's being disrespectful to Exeter, but Exeter are probably the one side that, 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 that of any that yeah. at the moment that could do it. Yeah. Uh, so it's not without um, possibility. 
if they do that, what what's the what's the key thing they have to do, or or, or the key thing they have to avoid actually? Well, I, th- I think they need to make sure that they defensively don't allow uh, Saracens to get over the game line. I think yeah. that's the big thing. You look at the way that they play. I think we remember play. We played um, Saracens at the Olympic Stadium. We were up at halftime. We played really well, and we'd be physical. We'd stop them, and then. Just in the second half, it was just wave after wave after wave of big bodies. And yeah. we just couldn't end up dealing with it. And they ended up squeezing us and beating us just uh, not by much, by about six or seven points. But I think if you can not allow them to get this sort of momentum and this wave after wave of big ball carriers then and get get them out of their rhythm, I think that's going to help. So, you know, eggs are pretty clear in the way they play. You know, they've got a pretty, you know, they like to hold the ball. They want. They, I imagine they're going to try and move. Saracens round a bit, you know, play side to side. So they just need to make sure that they're not playing into Saracens' hands and allowing them to just squeeze, squeeze, squeeze you up the pitch, give away a penalty, kick three points, and then all of a sudden, you know, that happens twice, three times, you're nine points down, and Saracens are a hard team to chase What down. about this tactic that Exeter seem to be absolutely wedded to, of not kicking kickable penalties, going for the drives from... Lineups. What's your opinion on that? Because I have a, a, a quite a firm opinion. Well, on that, but... the, I think it depends where the kick is. If the kick's right in front and it's literally a gimme for the for the kicker, you, I think you should take it uh, unless you're severely chasing the game. But sometimes you got to look. You know, I know being a captain, you look at the the guy kicking the goal, and if he's not that confident, you just you, you're better to go. Well, you were, there are higher opportunities to kick it out and and see where we go from mm-hmm. there. But look, uh, more. Like, you know, when, when they've had – I think they started doing it early in the year and their strike rate was pretty good. And so they probably went, well, it's working for us. Let's not let's not change it. Uh, I'd like to see what happens if they're in the final and they're down by two points and they've got a kickable penalty and they don't take it. Well, that that is the point for me. I think it does work against sides you can overwhelm and who are psychologically, you know, sometimes yeah. vulnerable. Uh, if you put a try on Saracens, I don't think it makes that yeah, much difference. No. You know, they're, they're going to stick to their things. And in close games, which I think the final may well be, might come down to that. Anyway, why don't we speak to someone who might know about this, who uh, will certainly have his colours firmly nailed to one particular mass. It's Tony Rowe, the Exeter Chairman and Chief Executive. First time to speak to Tony. He's very welcome. Hello, Tony. Morning to you, Brian. Morning. Good morning. Am I right? You're... Association started in '93 with a sponsorship deal with Exeter. Is that right? Yeah, it's back in '93. Yeah, back in uh, I think. It's and little did you know, hey? <laughs> little did I know, yeah. Did you <laughs> when you started, um, and you had the idea of taking it further? Yeah. How long did you think it would take? Did you ever think you would get to the position you're in? No, I, I mean when, when I uh, started as a sponsor, I was persuaded by Rob Baxter's father, John, who was chairman at the time. And, um, uh, you know, I put some money in or my company put some money in as a sponsorship deal. And, and uh, uh, you know, and uh, uh, it wasn't until the, the game went professional uh, and the club, although it had got itself from Division 4 into Division 2, it just fell flat on its face because it had no money. And, and, and you know, like a lot of clubs then, it was just run by a committee and... and um, didn't know what what to do, so it, that's when uh, I said, "Look, we need to form it into a limited company." Blah blah, and they said, "Would I do that and take it forward?" And said yes, and that's when the ambition came to get the club into the Premiership. So from '98, that was. Well, one of the things you've done is you brought financial stability to that, and indeed, you know, a, a very unusual thing in the uh, Premiership—a profit. How <laughs> have you managed to retain? 
profitability and competitiveness? Uh, well, well, I've said it before, you know, I mean, uh, it, 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 it's... Uh, we we never in the early days, Brian. You know, um, uh, you remember in the late nineties, uh, oh, yes. the clubs were sort of selling up their assets and sticking it all into players, and and then you know, uh, and clubs were going out of business all over all over the country. And I I said to the to to the guys there, you know, that's right. I want to run it as a proper business. So if we ain't going to make any money, we're not going to do it. Uh, and uh, let's start to get we to get the facilities better. And then gradually build the team, and that's what we've done over a number of years. In, in, in no hurry, no pressure, and so it was. It was. It, it wasn't easy, but, but it, it, you know, if we didn't have the money, we didn't spend it. Unlike a lot of other clubs that just spent money and spent money, uh, and so when we arrived in the Premiership in 2010, it had been planned. Uh, Sandy Park had been planned as a Premiership ground, uh, and we and we. Uh, Part of the Sandy Park uh, structure was a conference and banqueting business that, that underpins the rugby, so that the 340 odd days a year that you're not playing rugby at Sandy Park, they've got a business there uh, which is earning money and underpinning it. See, Tony, you mentioned there the planning, and this is behind my view about the ring fencing. I'm not saying cut the ladder away completely. Um, so that clubs like yours, uh, as you were, don't have the ability to fulfil an ambition. All I'm saying is let's make it a bit more of a planned exercise so that clubs who are in danger of going down or want indeed want to come up, have a two or three year or whatever period it is, run at it rather than it being the one year, you know, merry-go-round, up, down, up, down, that it is now. Yeah, I mean, Brian, you know, you, 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 you know, we are... Exeter are, are for keeping the door open. Uh, we, we support promotion and relegation because without that we wouldn't have got there. But what the what a lot of the championship clubs fail to understand is that it's no good just uh, plowing a lot of money into your team and and then finding yourself in the Premiership uh, without a ground that meets minimum standards. You then end up having to pay a fortune to rent a ground. Uh, and, and you know, and why we're in profit, and why we make money, is because we own our ground. And when we went to the Premiership, we owned our ground. So we, it's not only keeping all the ticket sales money, but but also it's, it's the add-ons on the match day add-ons. You know, what I mean, at Sandy Park at the moment, our add-ons, food and food and booze, is about fifteen pound a head, uh, and we've grown that. And it's all all profit. And that's what it's all about. Is is Approaching the Premiership in a business business like way, rather than sort of ah, we we just got to put guys on the pitch who are going to win it, and then we'll worry about it afterwards. That won't work. And if we've proved anything, we've proved that doesn't work. But I'm all for um, for, for for you know help. The, the Championship should have help, and, and I mean I'm a bit of a critic of the RFU here because I don't think the RFU have done anything to really help the uh, uh, second tier clubs the championship they took it over uh, back in 2000 and uh, i think 2009 10 was the was the championship was was was, was born uh, with you know and it was an RFU run uh, setup and and you know it's their, it was their responsibility they wanted it i think on the Francis Baron they wanted a second tier professional uh, division and they've 
they've not really um, supported it all the way through. Sorry to go on a bit. That's right. Tony James Hall here, mate. Um, just wondering what your thoughts on the CVC investment are into the Premiership and how whether that'll help or hinder, I guess, the Premiership rugby going forward and, and particularly Exeter in, in down there. Uh, morning to you, James. Um, well, in a way, um, in a way, the, the, the CVC deal is actually financially ring-fenced the, the Premiership because uh, it, 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 it's put money in. Uh, so a lot of those clubs that would de- in, in, in desperate needed some some financial input, they've got that. But it's also it's also valued it valued the clubs. Uh, I was sat at the meeting uh, last year when it was announced that CVC were going to uh, or were looking to 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 buy an interest in Premiership rugby, and and I was told what the the numbers were, and then all of all see over, all of a sudden overnight. Uh, most of the chairman didn't really think about uh, the champion. Uh, sorry, the Premiership as having a value as a whole. But overnight, the, the Premiership was was valued at close to a billion pounds. So, um, and and so really, <laughs> you can divide divide the numbers by the thirteen clubs, and that 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 value is on the on the on the balance sheet. So in a way, any club that wants to come into the Premiership has got you know. The, the guy needs to, who owns it's got to have a big fat wallet and a ground that meets the the, the criteria. The, the the bar has been moved upwards, um, but I I you know personally and and also the club would would still like to see uh, that avenue if if a club wants to do it. But the CVC money will uh, because because the Premiership clubs have sold uh, a, a, an interest or the commercial interest. Within the Premiership, uh, CVC, uh, you know, uh, they're an invent- investment uh, organisation. They they've invested uh, uh, a few hundred million pound, and and they will want to see a return on that investment. And the bigger return they get, the bigger income the the thirteen Premiership clubs get from their uh, from the uh, advertising. Uh, and, and Tony, the return on investment for them will come from where? Uh, from 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 the marketing and TV rights and the rest of it. I mean, okay. if you look at the history of CBC, uh, uh, Brian, they they were the guys that went in and and uh, bought into um, Formula One. Wasn't it? Formula One, yes, that's right. Uh, off of Bernie Eccleston, and and at the end of the day, they made a fortune out of it, and Bernie did, and and, and you know, and they they sold it on, uh, and and. At the end of the day, you know they they they've not come into uh, Premiership rugby. Uh, you know it's, it's not a case that they just stuck the money in and have a good time, lads. They they put the money in to to actually earn money. And... Absolutely, you can never uh, describe venture capitalists as philanthropists. <laughs> I don't think. Let's move very quickly on. Lastly, if you don't mind, to the uh, the game that's coming up. It's a big game. Obviously, your fourth in a row. Um, I wrote today in the uh, Telegraph that I think you and uh, Sarsons are just, I mean, they're just a cut above. You're a cut above the rest at the moment. So how do you see it going? What do you think you have to do away from Sandy Park? I mean, I don't know if you heard James earlier on saying that Sandy Park is a a difficult place to play because of the emotional attachment you've managed to generate there with the fans and the players and so on. You won't have that uh, in the final. What do you do? Well, 
we aren't, you know, like like the the, the whole business at Sandy Park. That since I've been managing it back from '98, we're not in a hurry to do anything. And we've gradually grown the strength of our side. Um, you know, from coming into the Premiership, we didn't go out and and buy a new side. We 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 work with our Championship side, and over the years, we work with our academy boys coming through. And if you look at the amount of uh, English internationals this year. Uh, so when we go, we're going back to Twickenham with with a far more experienced side than we've been there in the last three years, and and I, you know I, I you know uh, we've got a, a, a most of our key players uh, will be available, and I think that I think we can do it, Brian. But it's in it's in the head, uh, you know. I mean, and, and it's it's um, the guys need to go there with the confidence. We've beaten Saracens the last year. We've beaten Saracens twice. Uh, we know we can do it. We've just got to go there with that belief. Well, best of luck to you, Tony. It's great to uh, speak to you. Uh, it's great to speak to someone who's uh, who's got a realistic view of what the uh, economics <laughs> of the game actually are or aren't. Right. Best of luck, mate. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Goodbye to you. Thank you very much. James, it is true. They, they have had, against what you would consider... Most expectations. A budget, I don't think it, they even spend up to the salary cap, just about. Um, is this a one-off? Can you, have they just got it a unique thing there? Can other sides do that? Um, or does it require lots of cash? I, it's a bit of both. I think that the ability that they've been able to, I think Tony spoke about, about their recruitment, they've been able to keep majority of their academy guys and guys that want to play down there. So they've been able to probably keep high-level players or less money that they would get if they went to the market. So if they went to play for another club, they'd, they'd get much more money. They've also gone very shrewd with their recruitment. You can see that. They don't recruit everyone. They don't try and put their hand that they, they're quite selective of people they're trying to, trying to get. You look at, look, a lot of Aussies have gone there, you know, back from when I think Dean Mum was probably the first one that came when they just got promoted. And since then, there's been a, a steady flow. Guys like Nick White, I think, has been an excellent signing for them. They haven't... He, you know, he was targeted because he's the, he's the sort of nine that fits the system. He fits the culture. But they're strategic, culture. aren't they? Yeah, strategic. They're he's not, not just, just. He's a great player. He's yeah. available. Yeah, you can always use yeah. good players. It's, exactly. It's we like need we this. need this style yeah. of player. That let me go out and find him, and they'll, you know, and I don't think they they're not trying to they trying to get guys that also are a cultural fit because, you know, anyone that's been there they say it's quite a unique culture that they have but a very strong culture and the, the group and the players drive that, particularly the ones that have been there. Well, what, what you probably wouldn't know coming from Australia is mm. the, the South West, you know, there, Exeter yeah. down to Cornwall, yeah. has always been a rugby area. Football yeah. is one of the only areas in England that football is not absolutely dominant. I mean, yeah. okay. um, and though it's quite a small population down there, they're rugby mad. Yeah. And so you're getting the best of the talent there, whereas in other parts of the country... A lot of that goes to football. Yeah, exactly. So their academy system is producing players because they've got the natural stuff yeah. coming through, which other areas perhaps haven't. Why don't we move on to the Pro 14? Uh, like the Premiership, I think there's a clear gap, and the finalists are the two top two teams uh, that uh, are the equivalent of Saracens and XT. You've got Glasgow Warriors and you've got Leinster, and their final has just taken place, and we're going to speak about it to Shane Byrne, who is a former Leinster and Island hooker, who's on the line again. Hello, Shane. Hey, Brian. How are you doing? Hello, mate. Um, look, they, Leinster again. 
I think there is a, a clear divide. Do you think Leinster will be relieved to have got this? Now, you know, the way in which the season's gone, the, the sort of dipping form of some of their players and the Champions mm. Cup defeat? Yeah, I, I think very relieved. I, I, The European defeat against Saracens really hit them hard. And particularly because, you know, from their point of view, there's a lot of that was their errors, their mistakes. And you could hear after any of the interviews by Sexton, uh, Leo the coach, any of them, that they were mentioning that repeatedly, that they needed to get over it. And it took them a long time to get over it. And in fact, Munster did them a favour in the semi-final coming at them with a very, very physical game. And it kind of snapped them out of it. And you could see them in the last 20 minutes kind of becoming, you know, back into the form that they should have been in. It wasn't a brilliant final. You're 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 dead right. Uh, Glasgow and uh, Leinster have, you know, the way the Pro 14s broke up into two conferences, and they were the top teams, you know, by some margin. And uh, Glasgow, in fact, were probably the form side running into the final. But it was a horrendous day weather-wise, and not the greatest game, uh, an exhibition. But it was more the experience, and just the you know, the hunger that Leinster eventually had to show saw through, but not not a great occasion for a final, unfortunately. Where, where do you think Johnny Sexton is now on his uh, curve to uh, being uh, at the top of his game for the World Cup? No, well, look, I think everybody realises that the Irish team probably peaked in 2018. And, uh, you know, we had an absolutely amazing, you know, season right the way through the end of the 2017-18 the season and the start of the 2018-19 season. But it's, you know, it's something that Joe Schmidt running into the World Cup is going to have to think a lot about and is to, you know, get these guys going again. Because yeah, Johnny Sexton, although he shows form that in the game of the weekend, he controlled the game and the opportunities that Glasgow probably had more opportunities, but Leinster took theirs better and they... You know, they worked well, even though he missed a few kicks to start off with. They controlled the game, the bits that they could get their hands on it. And um, yeah, Sexton's not at the best of form at the moment. You wouldn't think he's the top of his powers, but hopefully now there's a good, decent break that they have now and he'll come back rejuvenized. Uh, Shane, what do you think of Leinster's chances sort of moving into next year they're obviously losing a lot of big name players guys like Sean O'Brien Jack McGrath yeah. Rob Carney what, what's the future look like uh, I guess for Leinster rugby moving forward well you know what there's an incredible stat come out of the, the Pro 14 that, and then I think Leo Cullen doesn't get half the compliments that he should 57 players were used in the Pro 14 this season which is an absolutely amazing stat the, the depth of the squad that Leinster have and the way that Leo keeps turning them over that if you're good enough, you get game time so that if you're needed in the big games, you're not caught like the rabbit in the headlights. And, um, you know, that's something he's proved often. And so I think the young guns coming up, there is talent coming all the way through. Look, there's a few players that are irreplaceable. You've just named a few there. You know, Sean O'Brien probably to the fore. And sad news today, he needs another operation on his hip, unfortunately. So that's going to put him definitely out of the World Cup. But, um, you know, guys like that will be missed by any side. And certainly him not being there will be added to the loss of Levy as well. You know, it makes Van der Fleer, who is the, the Leinster 7 at the moment, very, very valuable. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think they're going to struggle in the own run. Uh, we're going to leave it there, Shane, but uh, thanks very much for taking time out of the day to speak to us yet again. No problem, guys. Take care. Take care.
James, uh, Brian, he's going to London Irish. I mean, he's not going to be there. For, uh, he's not going to be available for a while, yeah. unfortunately. But um, they've had a few high-profile recruits. Adam Coleman's coming. Now, I've heard extraordinary figures for Coleman. I can't back this up. No, neither. I've can't heard, back this I've up. i the same ones and I can't back Can't back the anyway. 850,000 a year up. But, but if that is true, that is unbelievable. The London Irish, traditionally, funny enough, haven't spent anywhere near a salary cap. They spent about half usually. This looks to me to be a completely sea change in mentality if these figures are anywhere near true. Can that succeed? You know, just a big name players, or do they have to fit the systems? Is it because I mean, Saracens before mm. now they yeah. used to spend lots of money on big players, they were great names, some of them worked, some of them were terrible. Yeah, you know, I don't know, I you know, Coleman yeah. a lot better than yeah, me. Well, but, I think, I mean, I think, look for London Irish, the fact they're moving to Brentford, I think, is a, a big win for them to move back towards London. The yeah. fact that they're based out of Sunbury to get their sort of fans. In, in one area, I yeah. think it's a, a big result for them. And maybe they're looking at it and going, well, we're moving back to Brentford. We need to get bums on seats. We want people to get a buzz for London Irish again because obviously the last few seasons they've been up and down from the Premiership, been in and out since I've been here. And they just haven't been sort of that consistent group. So maybe they've looked at it, you know, for a short-term one to two years, we're going to sign a lot of big-name players. Um, hopefully it comes off. At least it gets a good amount of marketing for the group, for yeah. the club. Moving back to a new stadium, which looks fantastic in Brentford, looks like a great place to, to play. Uh, and hopefully they can, you know, they can start filling that. Maybe that's what they're looking at. I don't think doing that year after year after year, spending this sort of money is going to be well, financially. Well, that ironic. They'll, that, if it's that amount of money, they'll be on as much, if not more, than some of the Brentford players. Yeah. <laughs> who are in the championship, which would be remarkable. Perfect. I've always wondered, it's a great place for a ground, right? It's Q yeah. Station. I just wondered how much carbon monoxide you're breathing yeah, underneath the flyover. The M4. But there you go. It's only for 90 yeah, minutes, 100, yeah. whatever. Um, just look, um, where are Australia at the moment? I mean, Larkham's gone. Mm. Um, he's been linked with a coaching job at Munster. I mean, who knows where? Uh, have they still got the jury out on Checker or has he definitely been given the job now? He's there, he's there to the World Cup and I think he's... I think that's it for him. I think that's he. I think he's even come and said it. If unless they win it, he's not going to stay on. Yeah. Um, look, I think Australia. Uh, look, I think they've got a lot of young talent coming through. Unfortunately, with the Israel Folau situation, I think that a lot of that's getting sort of pushed behind. I think the, the some of the Super Rugby teams are playing better than we have yeah. in the last three or four years. Uh, well, you know as well as I do, yeah. Australia turn up for World Cups. Yeah. And I think the, they I, might I not. They might well. not do anything before. They might not win them, yeah. but they've got a very good record yeah. in the World Cup. I'd expect the Australia to get at least to the semi-finals yeah. of the World Cup. I think they've got some great talent. They've got some key guys in key positions playing well. It just depends whether where the selection comes. You know, I think Pocock, unfortunately, is struggling at the moment. I think there's an announcement coming tomorrow about his future. So there's that might uh, you know he he's a he's like a world class player and he could turn change a World Cup. Uh, you know, a guy like Samu Karevi in the centres for, for the Reds has been probably the best ball-carrying player in, in all of Super Rugby. Um, and so they need him at, at their best. And, you know, I think they can get, if they can get their some some of these young forwards playing well, I think they can set a platform for our backs. Well, I mean, losing Falau is a big thing because he's a tremendous player. Yeah. However, I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, you've been there, you, you're captain and whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. what do you do? When 
someone who genuinely believes, I have no yeah. problem with that, I, I don't, but, but yeah. you know, feels compelled to make statements like that, which are nothing to do with rugby, actually. No, no look, it, it's, a, it's a very strange one. And, I, I, like, I, I think the big thing for me about this whole thing is that rugby is about everyone. It's about being inclusive. It's about no matter who you are, what you do, you, not just at the professional level, but at a, at a junior level, you can turn up to a rugby club and you're going to be welcome no matter what, mm-hmm. what your background is. And I think as soon as we start ostracizing people for their sexuality, their beliefs, whatever, that's when there's an issue. So I think you need to make sure that the, the game's for everyone. And he obviously... Well, he will say, and, and, and indeed I got this from some of the Telegraph yeah. readers, that, um, you know, oh, he's not being allowed to practice his religion. Yeah, well, I, th- I, think, I think it's a little bit different to that. I think it's, it's more of an uh, employment law thing. If you yeah. go to an employer, an employer's given you a warning and said, look, we understand, but you can't say that for here, then... You agree to those terms. You then sign a new contract, which you've agreed to. So you agree to what that your employers asked you to do, and then do it again. I don't think there's. I, I don't think it's. I think it's more. It's been taken a bit too much down the religion mm. path with it. When it's just, it's just. I that's think right, basic contractual employment. issue. Yeah, it's a contractual issue, and I think that's the way it's sort of been looked at from Australia. He's a big loss, though, isn't he? I mean, he's a tremendous, amazing player. player. One of the yeah. most freakishly gifted athletes I've ever ever played with, yeah. and. Um, it's sad that he won't be in a, in a Wallabies jersey moving forward. Will it be two out of two? What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Barbarians. They're, uh, they've got a short camp to prepare for the uh, game against England. Very pleased to say I can speak to Pat Lamb, who is not only the Barbarians coach, the Bristol coach as well. They've got England this weekend. Hello, Pat. Brian, how are you, mate? I'm all right, mate. Um, look, you, you come into camp with the Barbarians. A lot of people think it's anachronism and, you know, players are professional. You have a very short time to prepare. What, what, what do you do in that time? Well, I think the big thing, there's no doubt world-class players come in. And as we know in this great game of ours, it's not about the individual. Um, so we try and make sure in that short amount of time we come together real, real tight um, to try and be a world-class team by the time we run out on Sunday. And as we know, and... I think, um, you know, right back to your day and, uh, you know, I was blessed to, to, to play the game at the top level in the amateur day and then the professional game. Um, it's not about professionalism. It's not about getting paid. It's about the, the standards and, and the camaraderie and, and working together. So yeah, it's still there, yeah. Pat, because, of the, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, my day a little bit, your, your day. Uh, I'm older than you, but um, that's all the Barbarians was. It was because you got to play against great players that you not necessarily would play against. Is that element still there? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, you know, and that's why, we, you know, even, even when I'm here at Bristol, it's never a focus around the money. It's about our time together. It's about creating memories and, and, and awesome experiences. So the beauty about this team, it's unique because this is the only time in history this group of players will play together. And so um, the, the way I plan the week out is um, to make sure that, you know, we get that balance right around um, the, the work um, and, and also the bonding uh, that we come together with. Um, because the only chance we always have to, to win the game on the weekend is, is, is as a team. So a lot of work goes into that and a lot of preparation goes into that. I've got a request here. It's an unusual one. Can you make sure that Joe Marler and Cal Sinclair are mic'd up? <laughs> I, I would say that uh, <laughs> well, certainly Joe Marler, um, yeah, he's excited. I mean, when I, when I gave him a call and uh, he thought I was joking, he probably used uh, language that probably a bit more, but he was pretty much getting the point <laughs> that he thought I was joking. And, 
but no, he was he's he's so excited, and and that that's the beauty of this is that you know some guys have have, have unbelievable careers, and it's a real highlight to come together and play in, in this group because it's such a prestigious team, so much history and. And, and it's important that whoever puts their jersey on and, and what we do during the week honours that. And particularly, obviously, with the, the sad news of Mickey Steele Bolger, who was who was there last year and, and been there every year. And, um, you know, so we'll, we'll certainly be with us in spirit during mm-hmm. the week. Uh, we were, so I'm sorry, but, but, but James and I were just uh, having a bit of a giggle about whether or not Cipriani might be involved. <laughs> no, I think, um, I think what would happen is, because Eddie, Eddie will have a few of the players that will uh, have to get on rest now and get ready for their World Cup, and then he'll he'll pick a group there. And uh, there's a few players I had to check with Eddie if if, uh, if they were available, but um, but they weren't. Um, but you know, obviously the priority is World Cup for England. Um, our priority is to, uh, to come together and perform well for the Barbarians. Pat, great job this year, especially at Bristol. Uh, keep it going, mate. Great to speak to you. Cheers, buddy. Bye bye. Uh, how will uh, Messrs Sinclair and Marlow get on together, James? Uh, albeit in a friendly game. Yeah, look, I think they'll um, they'll be fine. I think uh, you know, I know Joe's very excited about the opportunity. Um, look, depends if whether whether Sink plays. I think they might be uh, cautious not to play a a player like Kyle in in that game. Um, he's obviously. Um, Going to be a big, big, big member for for England at the at the World Cup, and I, I I'd imagine they're probably looking at that and going, well, you know, it's probably not worth risking a guy like Kyle to to pick up an injury or something like that. He probably doesn't need much more game time. He's played a lot of rugby this year, so well, it's going to be with and against Marler a lot, yeah. won't he? So yeah. they they all they'll all get along, I think, and Marler will probably say a few things to him, and Kyle will listen and and nod nod politely, I'm sure. Uh, Cipriani won nearly every award this year. Um, it's as simple as this. I mean, Eddie Jones doesn't fancy him in the setup. I mean, these are all subjective things. And if I, you, and I think anyone who's listening, if I'm in charge of something and I'm going to get fired if it goes wrong, I'm not going to select because you tell me to. Yeah. My job, I'll do it and I'll stand or fall. Is it as simple as that for Sips? Yeah, well, I think it's... It's, it's unfortunate, but... Yeah, look, it's, in the end, it's... That's the way rugby works. It comes down to the coach has got a job to do and he wants to pick a team that he feels is best to to win the game. And in the end, it's based on how they go at the World Cup. It's probably going to, he's going to live or die by that, by that, those decisions. And, you know, whether you, the, the, the public like the decisions or other people like it, he's the one that has to, has the, has the vision. And if that's the, that's the way it goes, you know, if they, if, if they win, then, he looks like a genius, but they yeah. don't. Then there's always going to be questions, yeah. and that's across every every uh, every uh, every team I've ever played for. And that's the way it is. It comes down to opinions. How is Marcus Smith getting on? He's good. Look, he's he's matured a lot. I think this year, some of the games that he's played, his maturity and game management has been much better than probably he was. Is he nineteen? I think he's still available for the twenties. I think <laughs> for that yeah. age, how yeah. is? Oh, I think he's excellent. Look, I think there's some games this year. I mean, the game against Clermont when we played over there at the stud. The Michelin, I think that was one of the most sort of complete performances he came across with. He, he controlled the game. He kicked for corners when he needed to. He didn't overplay his hand. I think he was probably first year, just wanted to do everything. He's like just out there. He's so excited. He loves playing rugby. And I think he probably overplayed his hand a little bit, which can be a, a thing that you learn throughout the years. But then, you know, this year his, his game management's been a lot better. I think he, I know he's working very close with Nick Evans at the club who's 
who's obviously a, a great fly half, and yeah, the both of them. And I think he's teaching him to be a bit more dour, is he? Yeah, a little bit, little bit, a <laughs> little bit more dour, a little, little less, a little bit more boring. Not take yeah. as much contact as Snap did. Um, but yeah, look, I think hopefully big futures for Marcus, and hopefully we can see him in an England shirt not too distant future. Well, it's good to see you again. I mean, look, um, you announced um, your, your retirement. Uh, what have you got planned? I mean, have you got detailed things planned? Are you... Yeah, look, I'm, um, I'm hopefully I'm going to do a bit more study um, here in the UK. So hopefully doing a, an MBA or a master's in that sense. So I've done my You're going to be the varsity match, are you? Maybe. Maybe. You never Aha! know. You never know. So rugby, <laughs> rugby's not gone completely. But look, uh, yeah. I'm... Let me have a word with you. Some nicer colleges than others. Yeah. If you, if you want to go there, I've always thought, if you're going to go there for that yeah. sort of reason, go to a really attractive college. Because <laughs> some of them are brick-built. And yeah. whilst you're at Cambridge or Oxford, you want to be involved in the history. Yeah, no, I do. <laughs> and, I, and look, it's exciting. And it's, uh, it's going to be a new chapter and something different for me. But something that, um, yeah, I think it'll, uh, you know, the opportunities are there. And it's exciting to see what, see what comes. Brilliant. Well, that's all we've got time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. When we come back, we will know who are the Premier Chip champions and we'll be dissecting that, obviously. Thank you very much to my co-host, James Horwell, who I wish well in his retirement and study, Oxbridge boy. There you go. Uh, thank you to all my other guests as well. Please do subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode and write a review whilst you're there too. For now, it's goodbye. <laughs>